Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. Today, I had a really interesting and engaging discussion with Rob Baker from Tailored Thinking. Rob's quite, quite, quite an interesting guy. He really um, tackles different aspects of um, organizational design from a positive psychology and strength-based point of view. And I've really enjoyed following him on Twitter. And we, we've recently met or e-meet or e-met over Zoom recently enough. I think he's a really, really awesome guy and he's fo- quite a lot of his uh, time is focused on looking at job crafting. So actually, how can we personalize the world of work such that each person, even if they're micro changes, can actually craft a role that is more meaningful, more engaging, and ultimately allows them to fulfill their potential. So we go cover all the three main themes of this podcast around inclusion, vulnerability, and self-awareness, but with a with a real focus on, on this area of job crafting and actually how can that potentially unleash um, potential in human beings that currently are not necessarily fulfilling that potential. So yeah, really enjoyable chat. I hope that you find it interesting and that you get some, some takeaways and please do share your feedback with Rob or myself. You can find details of how to contact him in the show notes. Thank you. So good morning and welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. I'm really excited this morning to have Rob Baker, who's joining us. Good morning, Rob. Hi, Gary. Hi. Pleased to join you. you. How are you, mate? You well? Yeah, really, really well, thanks. It's um, a bit blustery here in Durham, uh, but the sun's still shining, which is great. And uh, yeah, feeling good. So as I was mentioning this morning, cause it's, it's, it was at nine o'clock we were ringing, speaking now. My son's Finn's been up since 5.30, so I've already had two cups of coffee, so that's really going to help the conversation, probably. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, just, uh, just for anybody that's listening, so we've got um, sort of three loose themes that we like to talk about on this podcast, Rob, which are around self-awareness, vulnerability and inclusion. So they're sort of personal passions of mine around how do we have these conversations more regularly, particularly within mm. an organisational context. Mm. So we're just going to sort of flow around those three sort of subject matters, if that's all right with you. Yeah, sure. That sounds really exciting. Okay, fantastic. So first of all, let's start with, first of all, me trying not to say fantastic as much, because I'm really conscious on these podcasts. I say it a lot. That's just my life. <laughs> uh, I haven't noticed, Gary. I, I think I've been depleted. <laughs> I haven't noticed it, but I will do from now on. <laughs> Um, so maybe just give a, give the listeners a bit of an introduction to you. So who are you? What's your background? What's your sort of focus areas of work? What are you passionate about? Yeah, great. So um, so hello again. So my name is Rob, and I'm kind of my, my passion now. The work I, I do is, is around bringing positive psychology, uh, well-being science um, to to the workplace. So I work with organisations where they are thinking about um, designing a new process or a new way of working and they really want to think about actually how, what can we do to increase the employee experience to increase happiness engagement with what we do and I bring the kind of evidence and practice to enable people to do that my 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 kind of background is as an HR consultant and practitioner so I've worked in HR all my life but my deep passion and interest has always been around what is it that actually enables some individuals to perform better than others that to, to kind of enjoy their work, get, get, maintain greater satisfaction in terms of what they do, maybe perform better? Why do certain teams uh, outperform others? Why do certain people love working in certain teams? And uh, why are some teams toxic and the difficulties? And I've had to unpick a lot of those issues myself. And then in terms of a leadership perspective, what is it that, that, that 
makes um, certain leaders more kind of effective and kind of powerful in their in their roles that they have to be able to affect them the biggest um, change or influence and what are the factors that lead to that and so I've always had that kind of interest that's how I've come to HR Okay. Um, and I've done all the kind of hard, the employee relations side of things as well, but that's not my kind of my, my favourite bit. If, I, if I'm in, if I'm honest with you, and um, so that's kind of where I've, I've kind of nudged myself, where I've kind of crafted my own work. Um, and I was really fortunate to consolidate this with a master's in positive psychology when I was working in Australia. So um, I've been lucky to work all over the UK and um, internationally. And uh, for three years, I was working in, in Melbourne. And I did the Master of Positive Psychology there in Melbourne um, had just started this up. So it was very serendipitous, very lucky, very fortunate. Um, I thought about doing an MBA, but I just wasn't excited enough to do it. So it, okay. I've done my HR qualification. It just didn't happen. And I kind of, I think it was just because I wasn't interested enough, if, if I'm honest with you. But I really enjoyed the, the, um, the, the Masters. And I particularly was really interested around what is it that enables in businesses to thrive and flourish? And why do certain businesses do that? And what's the advantage of doing that? And what's the evidence and science behind that? Um, and then once I completed my master's, uh, a few people started picking my brains and I enjoyed kind of sharing that knowledge with them. And when we came back to the UK, my wife and I and our son, we thought, I thought, right, rather than go back into standalone HR role, well, I'm going to actually follow my passion, follow what I do. And um, so like my own business, so Taylor Thinking is my, is my company. Right. And we try and be a force for good in the, in the world, of, uh, world of work. And the reason I've taken that step just, just is around my son. So you, you talk about sometimes glibly about you want people to follow their passions and do what they, you know, do what makes them happy. Yeah. And I felt that actually if I really want to actually kind of, for my son to do that then actually I've got to walk the walk the walk as it were so that's kind of part of a nudge for me to actually to kind of to, to, to step into this new 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 kind of dimension in, in my work life that's amazing and I think you know no, credit to you though Rob for doing it as well because you know I, I'm yeah you sort of a lot of people talk about it a lot of people think about it including myself over the years and you sort of it's a big step yeah it's a big step and I love the role modeling that you're evidencing there as well I think no massive respect to you and how, how much of was that really the trigger for you so like between coming back and going, hey, do I actually get, make it a little, go a bit safer back into corporate life for a while until I start my own? Or was it really like, bang, I'm going to do this. I have to show Finn this is the way forward sort of thing. Yeah, no, well, I, mean, so I think Finn was, a, was one of the things in terms of driver for me. So in terms of actually saying that's what I want to do, the kind of step change going back to the UK was, was, quite, hel was quite healthy. Um, I did um, spend, so it's been two years that the company's been running. Um, but a year that I've been doing it full time. And in that interim period, I had to take up some kind of consultancy work with some existing organizations I had kind of networks with. So it was doing around designing uh, positive approaches to change. So how we can do it in a more uh, positive, more humane, kind of more engaging, engaging way. And um, that we did that three days a week. So it, the idea was a soft, a soft launch. It was, it was a bit of a side hustle, if that makes sense, but always right. with a yeah. plan. But then it got to April and I realized that I just couldn't do these two aspects and do and launch the business and commit to it the way I wanted to. So it, it took, it was a kind of, it was, it was a runway to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 So I'm pinging as well. So apologies for that. Um, no worries. It sounds very yeah. clear. No worries. <laughs> Hopefully that's more business coming in, Rob. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so you mentioned actually, um, I'm interested to explore a bit. You mentioned um, with your own language earlier about you crafted yeah a role and obviously you know we've got to know each other quite recently over twitter by mm. the sort of communications we have on twitter so maybe can you give us a little bit of a background just that job crafting passion that you have because maybe that's going to lead us a little bit into how does awareness 
you know, how is people being more self-aware helpful yeah. when trying to job craft, for example? So, I think I think job crafting actually touches on two things in terms of inclusivity and in terms of self-awareness. So I can touch on on both. Right. So when I was studying, um, so a masters, what I my kind of actual deep interest, kind of my focus in terms of my kind of thesis was around what what are the factors that enable people to do great work. So in terms of if we all things being equal, and it's again, it's complicated for everyone, but what are the kind of key factors and and the, the, the three areas that came out again and again and again, this may not be a surprise to you, to yourself and to the listeners, is around um, competencies. So people actually doing things that they activities that they felt they were good at, so they could use their strengths um, and their 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 kind of uh, abilities. So things that they enjoyed doing, they were good at, skilled at. So those competencies. The second was around they had an element of autonomy in terms of what they're doing. So they had an opportunity to their fingerprints were on that activity. They had an opportunity to shape how they they, they did that task. And the last was around. There was an element of purpose or relatedness there. So there was an idea of sense of actually what they were doing was was meaningful. So there was sort of something there that they could they could do. Um, so that's a kind of you can think about like a cat analogy there, C A P. Um, and it's kind of this comes from self determination theory. And um, I think um, Daniel Pink's written about it in terms of drive, although he didn't yeah. reference self determination theory, which I'm really surprised about anyway. But that's um, that's another that's for another conversation. Um, so that's kind of those kind of aspects. But I thought that's really interesting. Then I would go into explore saying, well, how can we do more of that in the workplace? So how can we make that available to everyone? Um, and that's where I came across this concept called job crafting. And job crafting is effectively saying, how can we make small and subtle changes to our work to, to make them more personal to ourselves? So recognizing, increasing our self-awareness of what we enjoy, how we show up at work, what are the aspects that, enjoy, that we enjoy the most and that we're good at, that we want to do more of, and how can we do more of those in our day-to-day work um, so rather than necessarily thinking about work with kind of clearly defined edges that yeah the modular base is actually how can we kind of agitate and stretch around the, the kind of edges a little bit so the way that i often describe it is around thinking about work like a semi-tailored suit so some often works the kind of like the jacket you inherit and it's a bit baggy maybe doesn't fit you perfectly but you're just told to get on and wear it and actually what you do through job crafting is saying what can you do to neat, neat and chuck that to personalize it customize it to make it a bit more you Ooh, and the the, the, so the kind of that touch in terms of self-awareness when i'm working with people to to do this it's around it's around actually you need an understanding of how you're showing up at work each day what you kind of what what um you you enjoy what are your say what are your, your strengths what are you good at what do you um like to do to kind of more of and that can be your tasks that could be your interactions that could be thinking about the time spent thinking about the purpose of what you do and um, but also i think in terms of an inclusivity aspect there's a lot of positive benefits in terms of job crafting so people whom job craft is associated with more kind of engagement and kind of uh, and performance in terms of the role, but also in terms of career progression. So people whom, if you look at people who have had who rate themselves as having successful careers, and you then see how to what extent have you crafted your job? Have you shaped it? Have you deliberately tried to kind of create experiences and and um, found new ways of working that you've driven yourself. They pen, people tend to do that if they've had if they rate themselves as having successful careers. And so what I, I'm interested in doing is saying, well, how can we bring these kind of ideas and concepts to everyone in the workplace, not just those who necessarily have the natural motivation to do it and to, and to, and to, to do that. And so, and also for the manager's perspective, it's around enabling managers to understand where they potentially are impeding on this. So in terms of actually saying where they're blockers, because um, one of the disadvantages about, um, say, job crafting or where you get most resistance is people saying, I will try this, but I'll get resistance. My manager will say no. or you know, And that can be even more demotivating you know, than actually trying in the first place. 
Thank you for that description. That's, <clears throat> that's really powerful, actually. Do you think then, if you look at you know, that example you just gave, so you have this scenario where someone's actually can see, because the person doing the job, if you think about stuff like intent-based leadership, you know, yeah. pushing the, you know, pushing the intent to those who've got the information to the people that actually are doing the job, yeah. know how best to do their job. So why yeah. don't you empower them to do that? So for someone to actually think, I know how to do my job the best, I know how to craft it to make it yeah. the best possible job, yeah. and there's, there's this potential block by their line manager. How do you, as Rob, help, help facilitate that change within an organization? Well, there's two, two, two different ways of doing it. There's, one, there's a disruptive element to it, and there's a kind of, um, the more kind of plain side. The disruptive element is that we know that people kind of do this anyway. So in terms of one of the things I, when I'm doing workshops with individuals, and generally I'll try and do it with different levels of the organization, so there's kind of divine and looking at it from a more systems perspective. But from an individual perspective, there's little things people can do all the time that they don't necessarily need permission to. So yeah. to an example of... of um, uh, a really small example of, kind of um, purpose crafting that someone did working in a contact center. One of the things that they were saying is actually what was mattered to them is feelings of purpose, sense of purpose to what they're doing. So what they, they, they decided to do is that they would um, note once a day, that before the end of the day, before they went out, went home, just their best customer experience. So in terms of there, they were writing that down. And after a month, when we kind of called, called back again, they had, a, they had a month worth of stories about they'd you know, 20 different stories of how they help customers. It left them in a working with a positive frame of mind. But the key aspect of this is it comes from the individual, not from, not from me saying this is what you should do. It has to feel yeah. for, for, for the individual. So that's a kind of really small kind of change. You don't need permission. Someone else there was saying, actually, more and more, I don't get to speak to a colleague to expect it to be on um, Yammer or Slack or whatever. And I, and I kind of miss that face-to-face -face interaction. So what I'm going to do... And, and I'm expected to be on my, on my kind of around my desk and it's kind of noticeable. But once a day, I'm going to give myself permission to actually go around and have a face to face conversation with someone. It's going to take 10, 15, 20 minutes. And yes, that's maybe not the way that we're kind of naturally encouraged to do it, but that's the way I want to be. And so not, I'm not saying I can do that all the time, but just once a day, I'm going to do that. And it just makes people be able to lean in and just be a bit more kind of personal. So that's the kind of individual basis. And from the manager's perspective, I could have talked to them very broadly around if you want to make your life easier in terms of have better performing, more engaged people with less, less turnover, less, less kind of people issues, you want to create an environment where they do good work. And then I explained to them this idea of the, the cap analogy, but also this idea of job crafting is saying, if you allow people to do that, to oscillate around the edges, then they can, you know, you're actually going to get this back in spades as a, as a manager. It's going to make your life easier, but it is sometimes difficult for them to, um, take their kind of hands off the steering wheel as it were you know i think so often managers some some managers at least feel they state that micromanaging telling people what to do that's what they should be doing and i try and disabuse them of that quite quite, quite quickly um, <laughs> sounds like a fun challenge yeah yeah yeah. And not everyone necessarily gets it it's not going to panacea gary but that, you know my 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 one of my key roles is actually just trying to shape and lift people's thinking a little bit to be a bit more aware again self-awareness about how they're showing up as a manager and what they're doing and and what's the impact of that they're having on other people? God, this, this is where I start to think, damn, why am I trying to keep these podcasts at 30 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a couple of things that are jumping out to me for, for, from this straight away. So there's two things I'm thinking, Rob, which is we've got one, the, the aspect of accountability. So actually, what, you're, what I'm hearing is, do you know something? Whatever your structure, whatever system you operate within, you mm. do have a personal accountability to try and make that role as interesting and, and as positive for yourself as yes. possible so and i think quite often we like being victims in the workplace it's someone yeah. else's responsibility to yeah. make it better for me so yeah. i'm hearing that as a really yes. and, I, and I, I support that 
I really support that message. But I think there's also the other aspect though, which is sort of linked to that and does come into maybe the vulnerability piece as well is around actually trying to understand who we are. So what, around mm -hmm. fear, what stops us being accountable? What stops us maybe taking those steps yeah. to have that conversation with someone or to actually take the action to write down that purpose every day for 20, 20 days? So there's quite a lot of mindset stuff. I'm yeah. sort of sensing going on around some of your work. Is that a fair point? Or? No, it's really fair. Absolutely fair point. So two points you raised there was around the kind of, um, the kind of people's self-awareness in terms of the, the ability to take action and what are some of the barriers that I don't to touch upon. And the second is around this idea that, that there isn't, there's an agency on behalf of the individual. There is, there should be a sense of actually you have a res not responsibility. You have the opportunity, the way I present it, maybe to actually um, personalise aspects of your work. And I think so often for us, we all of us, and I do this, you know, even though I'm, I kind of research and, and talk about it a lot, we can sleepwalk through other days. We kind of uh, system one, system two kind of thinking. We're encouraged to kind of actually just do things in the most efficient way and not necessarily be cognitively aware of what, how we're showing up and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in terms of in terms of workplaces, what I try and do is just create an environment and space where it's fun and interesting for people to kind of to actually to explore a little bit in terms of actually how they show up at work and, and so and change that. And I think I'm not trying to cede all responsibility in saying putting this down and saying this is the responsibility of the individual, rather than saying it's a, it's a responsibility of the organisation to make um, work that's interesting and engaging for for, for people. But I do think it's a two-way conversation. I've, and I've, so often as an HR person, when I really lost the will deliver, when people were saying, this isn't in my job description, you know, in terms of saying, and it's not saying you, you shouldn't be accountable in terms of giving people, recognising, rewarding people for, for doing the work that they do. But it's so often people sometimes feeling, well, they, they can't do this. They, you know, this isn't what they're expected of. And I say, well, work should be a continually changing and evolving kind of thing. So that's the kind of the personal aspect of it. And I think in terms of the self-awareness, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. I think one of the barriers to doing anything in terms of um, changing our mindsets, changing our behaviours, changing our actions, is again, it takes work, it's effort. It's not, and it, doing anything new is a new skill. It take, you need to learn it effectively. You need to change the kind of wirings of our, of our brain to make, make new connections, and that takes effort. And I think we under we under recognise that sometimes, and it's a case of, well, we tell people this to do, and therefore they will you know they will do it i think particularly in stressful busy work or when we're feeling that we're stressful busy in our lives which a lot of us do feel we know that that actually gives us less energy to actually try new and novel things so it's yeah. kind of yeah. we're kind of sometimes going up an uphill battle and um, but so one of the things i do with with individuals and groups is, is thinking about and talking about micro changes so actually saying what can you do and in, in, give me a I set people to set goals in five minutes a day, nothing more if they can, or an hour a week. And people may get big, want to go bigger than that. And but I say, look, for the first month, just go, just go really, really small. And I find five minutes is a playful amount. People can get it. They can play. They can enjoy it. They're generally more successful. And from that, they get the confidence to actually build bigger, bigger things. So it could be if people say they want, you know, some people from I hear from kind of health and fitness things like right, I'm going to take the stairs every day, and that's that's great. But as soon as you don't do it the first time, you've kind of broken that pattern and people kind of gone out of habit. But if you say, right, once a day, I'm going to go up the stairs, that's all my, again, again, to, to go small, people are much more likely to be sustainable. And if they do it twice, that's bonus, but you're not necessarily setting yourself that big loss for your goal. So it's how can you create an environment for yourself that you're most likely to succeed? That's the kind of area that I think that, 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 oh. that we Is it really, I read um, a book, um, The Power of Habits by Charles. Yeah, Tilding. 
yeah, yeah. Never pronounce his Dilde, yeah, Dilde, yeah, Dilde, yeah. And I'm, this is something I've not thought about till our chat today, actually, is that habit, the importance of habit building mm. to, to some extent to help you become more accountable. I'm sort of, just as I'm listening to you talk, to some extent, if we're not actually creating good habits, whether that be self-care habits, you know, exercise habits, whatever, I guess we're actually putting ourselves to some extent on the back foot in trying to craft things as effectively maybe as then we otherwise would do. I don't know. Yeah, well, the way I see it, and this is quite black and white, guys, so it's a really interesting point, is that I see all that kind of new, I see new behaviour as a habit, if that makes sense, so very much in terms okay. of the self-care, the podcast, the kind of, um, and the kind of your self-care hour that you do in terms of Twitter, which I, which I contribute to when I, when, I, when I can, which I think is great. It's around sharing those ideas in order to do something for the first time. It's around creating that as a habit. Yeah. So I'm just interested yeah. in terms of what, what, what can I do to kind of create the reason I, I started studying habits was saying, what can I do to make it as easy as possible for people to adopt those new behaviors to, yeah. to understand the barriers and take those. And that's how I've kind of come, I've, I've, I've come at it from, um, so I've been explored some of the habit research, but I'm not, I'm not an expert, but something like this five minutes seems to work for me. Oh, that's awesome. So if, we, if we're going to look at the sort of work, if I may ask, that you do do with organisations, yeah. what are the biggest challenges for you in getting your messages into an organisation? If, if you had challenges, you know, is there, are there certain aspects of what you do that you find the most difficult to land maybe senior leadership or a ceo doesn't quite get it or mm. you know there's a lot of fear in certain quarters and you have to navigate that i appreciate every context is different i'm just wondering are there any sort of common themes because it's maybe linked to this job crafting concept initially yeah no okay so there's a couple of things i think for me the i've, I've worked with so i'm relatively new as a, as a company so two years but a year kind of full time and I've worked with a variety of different people. And the, the way that I can have the most impact is where there is a curiosity, I'd say. Maybe not necessarily a commitment, but that curiosity of saying there's maybe a different way of doing things here. Or they've already, they already think, that, or they already are committed to creating a, a positive employee experience and all that kind of entails. But they, they want to do more of that. I've come into some organizations where I've been told to try and fix a problem and that is by, by itself is kind of alarming. So in terms of you can hear by people's language in terms of how they're approaching something. So very much for me in terms of the organizations and when I'm working with them, I try and kind of explain about this idea of a deficit perspective versus a more of a kind of, um, a, a, kind of a positive approach. So uh, when I, the, my work is very much based around where do we want to get to and what the environment we want to create to work people towards that rather than necessarily looking back and looking at fixing looking at fixing problems so we'll see that in saying change and i've done this myself so people are saying well the, the, the kind of the idea is people need we need to tell them to change and we need to present they won't change unless we necessarily create a burning platform or do something in that respect but who the hell actually yes if you burn someone's platform they're in the work environment they will move but they will move running and screaming and kind of into a new place so it's a, for me it's a case of what can we do to kind of create an environment where actually they, they, they understand why we're moving and they want to get on board and, and plan for that rather than necessarily leave it to the last minute and kind of and run screaming and um, I don't know what you're supposed to take from your house you know your pictures of your loved ones or whatever you know it's, it's the last thing you do when your house is burning down around you so in terms of organization perspective it's around looking at that that kind of positive so that change similarly in terms of say performance management that I'll do so it's around looking actually rather than saying we're trying to create an environment where we can get our underperformers to perform well or adequately it's around actually creating a culture where we're enabling everyone to perform at their, their, their best. So we can, what can we do to, to, to encourage everyone to perform at their best and create that framework? And then that will drive or help the underperformers, the people 
you know, underperformers in inverted commas to yeah. perform a bit better. So that's the, that's the kind of my context. So in terms of the, my challenges around people looking at it from, from a deficit problem perspective uh-huh. um, versus, and looking at maybe think they think they know what good looks like or getting to that level, whereas the people who have the most impact are the ones that don't know, they're curious about where they can go and they, have kind of, they want to kind of explore and try and, and do different things. That's, thanks for sharing that. That's, what, I'm, what I'm sensing and seeing, well, actually what I'm seeing a lot at the moment is that, that word curiosity that you've, you've touched, you, mm. you just mentioned there, Rob. So pretty much every podcast I'm listening on the web, my team at work, our immediate team where we've done a lot of cultural work over the last two years, and we're now getting the results of that. One of our core values for the team is curiosity. Mm. And I think it's almost been a sort of undervalued aspect of the human psyche, I think, over the last sort of decade, really. Like it's to- the world is exploding around curiosity, and I'm not quite sure whether it's a, you know, what you're doing, what other people are doing, but there just seems to be this sudden awakening in society that, oh my God, look what can happen if we're curious. And I'm just wondering, is that, because I know there's so much talk about the future of work, progressive organizations, moving from command and control to more organic, more agile sort of setups. Is that part of this, do you think, in your opinion? Literally, it's almost like an awakening, literally, of like, you can now be yourself. There's the lid, ta-da, you can now be curious, you're now allowed. But as you sort of said that permission thing earlier on, so yeah. I'm, sort of, I'm sort of working this out in my head around accountability, permission, old ways of working, new ways of working. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to unpick it all, Rob. And I'm just trying to help me. I don't, I don't know if I can unpick it completely. <laughs> you go, I haven't thought about it like, quite this time. That's really, that's great. It's a great um, shout in terms of, and a great observation. And maybe when I'm saying curiosity, I wonder what I'm, I'm reflecting about. Am I picking, am I reflecting, mirroring back, hearing it in other people from yourself and elsewhere as well. So in terms of curiosity. I think very much for me, the way I've described it to some, some other people is that I feel my blinkers are coming off a bit at the moment yep, in terms yep. of very much when I've been doing my roles in the past. And this is maybe because I've, I've always looked around the context of how can I bring this back to my specific role? And by doing that, I felt that I've got quite a narrow band of information that I'm looking, I'm looking for. Whereas now in the kind of, I'm very fortunate, one of the fortunate positions that I'm in is that, that I get to explore and pull in ideas from all over the all over the, the kind of the, the, the place and the future work is and um kind of ai and all those kind of areas as well in terms of and how they change they're, they're kind of really interesting to me in the back in the background i don't know what that that means yet but i think there's something around that blink those blinkers so in terms of your your question specifically i think there is something around recognizing we can we need to take our blinkers off and i think we also need to know we all know the, the increasingly we're hearing and i think the penny's dropping that our traditional ways of working in five years time may, may be very different for us all. And if we actually want to get more control of that and more of an understanding about it, we need to think about more widely ourselves. So I think that's maybe where we're seeing it within teams and workplaces to be a bit more curious. I think the idea around experimentation and change and, um, and trying new things comes from design thinking and kind of prototyping entrepreneurship, which is, which is coming in. It seems to be at the moment much more, um, interesting for people to be if I tell to people about put myself as an entrepreneur or talk about entrepreneurship people could kind of lean into that they're kind of interested but maybe 10 10 years ago that wasn't quite as interesting to people as well and I don't know where that comes from but that that, that seems to be linked to that curiosity of trying new things of, of, of being challenged your brands trying to challenge your ways of working you know that just seems to be hitting a bit of the zeitgeist at the moment so I don't know if that's helped unpick anything actually I probably <laughs> No, no, it really has actually. Like I say, we, we always come back to our good friend, shared friend, Perry Timms, when you think about yes. things like design thinking and tech. 
And I'm just, I'm just thinking now, you have helped me because it's also that angle around, it's almost a democratization of the workplace to some extent is being forced because if you look at technology, things like Glassdoor, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we are able, look at us, you know, with all due respect, how would, I, how would we have met without Twitter? How would I yeah. met Perry without Twitter two years ago? You know, so my network as an example has gone from 95% within my own sector of chemicals, yeah. of, um, sales and marketing. And I've now got 95% two years later outside of my sector. So I think it really reinforces your point around the blinkers. So my blinkers were very much on, even yeah. as far as two years ago. And oh, now yeah. it's like the fact that I can now be having a chat with Rob Baker over Zoom about topics that we both find interesting, challenge each other, listen to each other. Now, how could we have done this a decade ago? So I guess to some extent, technology is a massive facilitator of this, isn't it? Uh, technology is massive and social media for me has been amazing. Um, and I think one thing just to say to yourself, I really admire the fact that you're, as someone who isn't your natural, in a way you could say the areas that I, in, in Twitter and social media, the kind of contacts I'm making and the and people I'm speaking to is around my kind of area. But one of the things I really admire about your, yourself, if I, can, if I can just say quickly, is the fact you're kind of, you're launching into, into new areas that aren't necessarily traditionally associated with your ways of working, which I think is really admirable. And but just shows you that there's opportunities that are out there. Um, and I think social media is, is something that, that there is, it's create great opportunity. Um, and one of the things I was talking to some graduates, um, I was doing a, uh, a talk recently to, to, to psych psychology graduates. And one of the things I was saying that there is the opportunity to do now is actually really make connections with anyone they want to in terms of any interest they, they have. People are much more approachable and acceptable of, 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 and interested in having those kind of conversations and having those connections. And I was encouraging people to think about how they could use the kind of social networks, be that kind of Twitter, be that LinkedIn or however, to actually make those connections, to actually contribute to the conversation and, and thinking and sharing articles and things. There's so much more people can do that the maybe wasn't as commonplace or as easy to do 10, 10 years ago. It's more niche thing, more people are doing it now. And that's one of the things I think there's a great opportunity with that. There is a downside to it as well though, is I think sometimes people, you can feel drowning in information yep. and, and mm -hmm. Certainly, I don't know about you, but I've got a kind of, a, you know, Twitter bookmarks of, you know, 50 or 60 articles I want to going to get to that I don't really have time. And, and one of my, my personal challenges is around, in terms of my own self-awareness, is that I found my attention span has reduced significantly and I'm scanning things a lot more and I'm not doing deep reading or deep thinking about some of the articles. I'm, I've, sometimes I feel like it's a race to get through things rather than actually having a really enriched um kind of cognitive really well thought out kind of engagement with an with an article and i'm i'm kind of i'm just aware that i haven't dealt with that properly yet because i still want to kind of go, go through get kind of race through or get, kind of absorb the information so that's that's a tension point i'm finding with some of the some of the technology as well so i need to be a better user more a better curator um of that information no i totally totally sympathize empathize and relate to that all completely just out of interest, because you mentioned in your sort of introduction, actually, Rob, that you obviously come not only from a, you know, a, a practitioner point of view, but also an evidence-based point of view with your research, yeah. with, your, with your master's that you did. Yeah. Does this situation you're in right now regarding this sort of creation, I, I could sense that's a particular frustration. You've got this, you want to be that evidence-based understanding of all this yeah. stuff that you're, you're bringing in from the social media. Yeah, yeah. You just you physically don't have the time, capability, et cetera, to actually do that. So, you know, how, what are you going to do, as Rob? To try. Yeah, that's really, that's really fascinating. So, so, so I'm trying to 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 to, to contribute to the to kind of from a research perspective. So, in terms of in, from from an academic perspective. So, 
I'm presenting at a, uh, the European Conference of Positive Psychology in um, a couple of weeks' time in Hungary, which is really great. So I'm Brilliant. presenting an paper with a, with a colleague. So I'm trying to kind of engage with that, engage with that space. Um, but I do kind of recognise the amount of um, I respect how much uh, time and energy and effort people do to kind of actually um, carefully engage with kind of academic peer papers and and also more practitioner papers that, that could have, that you read on kind of social media the, the um, and kind of combine them both. I, I, I think that takes that, that that takes time and time and energy. And all I can I think having said that though, when you speak to academics. You think they've got all the time in the world to do this, but of course they haven't. They feel exactly the same as everyone else. They haven't got any time to do it. And it's a case of prioritising and creating that space. So coming back to the idea of job crafting, I need to think about actually, if this, if this is something I really want to do, then I need to make it happen. And at a cost of which I need to potentially not do some other things. So it's just yeah. having those hard conversations. And, but when I've actually had the business, business success for myself, it's around creating consistent time and protecting it. So I'm doing like 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, if I'm continually working on something or reading something or picking an idea up, if I personally, if I keep working on it, I see it build and I get much more enthusiastic about it than I do if I would say, I'm going to try and protect half a day here, which ends up getting eroded by a conversation, you know, telephone call or something, and you don't get to live as much as you want. So it's a case, for me, it's around consistently engaging with, with, with ideas on a, on, a regular, on a regular basis. But it's not, it's not easy. Um, and I think that evidence base, I was talking to Rob Bryan about this actually um, at a conference recently, and I think it's, it's not easy for, uh, for practitioners to engage with, with the kind of academic communities in terms of the way that a lot of the, the conferences are run, kind of papers are written. It takes a lot of um, kind of work to actually kind of translate those into practice and, and experiment with them and apply them. And I think there's, we're not, there's more that we can do as um, both academics and practitioners to think about how this, uh, this issue of applying some of the ideas and principles and that's something I'm really interested in um, because it frustrates me that we're not always being as evidence-based as we can do in the sense of applying some of the ideas from, from, from research and science. Um, yeah. So. Interesting. Just, you, you, one of my challenges being in sales and marketing coming into more of a sort of people sphere is this I am your, your, your ideal candidate for needing evidence because I'm Mr. Enthusiastic Bouncy Gary, right? Okay, here's an idea. It can be done. Let's just go and do it. And then by the time I reach a CEO or a senior leader, they're like, right, Gary, nice idea. <laughs> right? It's great and enthusiastic. What's it actually going to deliver? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's just amazing. It just needs to be done. <laughs> like, these, these, these people have done it and it's brilliant. So, you know, I can totally see that need for the bridge. But I think also on the other side, Rob, for me, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, we also have to be careful not to go too far the other way either in terms yeah. of analysis, pipe paralysis and having to evidence base everything because then you start to lose the human sort of intuitive sort of yeah. set around it. So I guess there's a fine line between having enough evidence base and still having that freedom back to your tailoring example yeah. of your craft in that someone's got a, a really firm evidence base but then can then still be them on top of that layer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, that comes around this idea of experimentation and looking for opportunities. So again, one of the things that I've spoken to Rob about and others is around sometimes I think evidence-based approaches can be seen as actually sucking the joy and creativity out of things. And you have to, you have to have found the evidence about all these things beforehand. But it's for me, I look at it as a sense of saying, what does the opportunities, having read the, you know, looking about some of these ideas, what are the opportunities that present themselves? So I was describing it to Rob when I was meeting with him and this is um, my own kind of personal view and he kind of, um, we had an interesting discussion about it anyway. But I was saying, if you're reading a book inside 
um, that's that's great. You know, enjoying you might be enjoying that book, but if it's a sunny day outside, you may enjoy the experience of reading that book outside in the sun more so than you were if you're reading it in, inside. And you would never know unless you went out and tested it. There's no kind of there wouldn't necessarily be any evidence based or research based about approach of doing that. It's just a case of actually you've got to try it and see if you know to trust your gut, try these things and see. But then be curious about maybe if you did enjoy it, why was that and what does that mean? Would it you know, would it happen again? And does that actually matter? You know, I don't, you know, so it's just a case of, I think it's for me, you can use an evidence-based approach to, to seek opportunities. Then you can, um, as much as saying needing to, to feel that you've got all the ducks in a row and all the evidence there before you do anything. Um, but, but you need to have that curiosity that we've kind of come back to around to, to, to understand why that's happening. Do you, do you, is there anything do you feel today, maybe in people that you see or, you know, personal life, whatever, does anything get in the way, do you think, of people being curious? Is there anything, in your opinion, and that's a bit of a random question, but I'm just thinking as we're talking, are there sort of barriers maybe in an organisational context that stops people feeling they can be curious, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think time and energy, if I'm honest. That's the, okay. two, that's the two things. And I think it comes back to this idea as well, I think, in terms of an opportunity. So in terms of if you're... Um, I suppose there's difference in terms of curiosity around exploring, just exploring and absorbing ideas and just doing that research. That's one thing you don't necessarily comes out tangibility from that, but you could also um, express curiosity by trying new things and doing different things. And that could be personally or as a team or as a, as, as a group. And I think for me, when I talk to people about when they've crafted and been, you know, been curious and played with it, those that have done it, have had a really clear sense of why they're doing it and when they're going to do it and feeling they've got the opportunity to do that. People who have struggled to do it have either been really significant pressures elsewhere and just haven't been able to create that space mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason in terms of the workplace or been really clear about why they want to do it in the first place or maybe not the, the idea they're curious about it doesn't excite them. And I think there has to, for me, a lot of curiosity links to excitement or interest yeah. generally it's hard to get curious about something if you're not interested in it um, so it's around maybe plugging into actually maybe not doing what you think you should do but actually what you want to do and that's maybe gets in the way sometimes um, and it may be that you can't always do what you want to do and that may be a barrier in, it, in itself so yeah okay and th thank you interesting, really interesting thought Gary I hadn't really explored it myself well you're making me have these thoughts this is why this is such a good podcast mate <laughs> So segue nicely into a bit of a chat we had about strengths-based um, leadership and strength-based yeah. sort of profiling, whatever anyone wants to call it. So I, I put out a little bit of a challenge to strengths-based a while back, which you, you kindly responded to and a few other people. And just for anyone that's listening, that, that was around, and I'm still like, appreciating the feedback you might have today. It's just around this, and I, I get the point about not focusing on deficits and focusing yeah. on your strengths, the areas that you, and, and I, I like what I'm sensing actually is it's as much, you've got the strengths part of focusing on what you like, what you believe in, what you think you make a difference with, but also there's a joy element in this, which I've not always thought about mm. is actually what do you actually really enjoy doing as part of that role and not just the fact that you're good at it. Because yeah. my view of strengths-based leadership is basically whatever you're crap at, just make sure someone else deals with it, delegate yeah. it, get rid of it. Don't let it ever come onto your desk ever again, because like you're great at this. So it's like the trail of destruction you're leaving your wake. Don't worry about it because you're great at this. So I've never really had a sort of a great grounding, if I'm honest, in what strengths-based means. So I'm just like, if you, from your experience, you know, what, what benefits, what sort of, what's your view on strengths-based leadership and how would you sort of just clarify that challenge back to me around leaving a, 
a trail of destruction around the stuff. Not necessarily gonna... <laughs> people, leave, people leave trails of destruction using strengths, and they also leave uh, trails of destruction <laughs> using their strengths. People can have a knack for doing that anyway, I think. Yeah. Um, we all know what I've worked with, 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 with individuals and groups and leadership teams to, to look at it. It's around if you look at what you're, what, what you're, what you're good at, what comes to you kind of naturally. Um, and there's lots of different kind of constructs of what strength, strength is, but generally the way I describe it is what gives you energy, what you're, what you're good at, the way that you kind of generally show up and look at a problem or an issue or an opportunity. Um, so curiosity is one of my strengths, for example. So that's one thing that goes in terms of, in terms of and which helps me in terms of my role. Mm -hmm. Generally finding that if you approach a, an opportunity and think about how can I apply my strengths in terms of doing that, that, that self-awareness enables people to think about how they can, they can approach it from a, from a more positive, engaging, and engaging perspective. Sometimes it also means you need to kind of be aware that you need to, to kind of dial those things down. So for me, as someone who's curious, it's curiosity in terms of the strengths. It means that that's great for me in terms of I, I'm interested in finding new ideas and trying new ways of working and doing things. But the downside of that strength, the kind of negative side of it, is that I can just spend lose time on rabbit rabbit kind of uh, holes of, of uh, ideas of, of resources and others and without actually not getting anything done so as a consequence of that so in terms of actually delivery sometimes there's a trade-off between the two so just knowing that on that continuum that self-awareness in terms of knowing that that's how i could have kind of show up means that i can i can i can think of it's a challenge of task coming in i can think right i can think about and research novel ways of dealing with this so I can I know I can think of a way out of it but my challenge will be at some point I've got to kind of actually be more pragmatic about finding the choosing the best solution and getting on with it and the way that I do that myself is be quite time bound so I'll give myself maybe an hour to research something and stick to that and then say right I need to deliver and do, do something around it so that's around from there's a concrete example of being aware of um strengths and how you can use it I think you, for me, I don't think you. Some people say you don't have any weaknesses, and they will say that everything's just on a continue. You know, there's no such things. And some people say there's an underused strength. That's not maybe necessarily how I present it. I, I see kind of skills on a continuum, and the strengths are things that are kind of naturally at the top of those continuum. And generally, people are just going to be more engaged and interested if they approach things using their their, their strengths than they are kind of um, the negatives. Um, so I wouldn't say necessarily you, you ignore it and kind of at your control. But I think also you recognizing if you're doing things that you are not, a weak, I'm saying a weakness or the, I'd say the low end of your continuum, then it's going to take more energy. It's going to, you're going to find it draining and you will have to, to work harder to deliver the same level of performance as if that was your natural strength. So knowing that yeah. means that, that you, yeah, you need to need to think about where your time is and actually maybe saying if you're going to do something that involves you to be super, say if you're not detailed orientated and good person. Tick. Yeah. And if you, but you have to do your accounts, as I have to do my accounts or do something where you have to be really thorough. And you, some things you can't delegate, you can't not do, but you need to maybe have the sense that actually if I approach this, I'm going to find it draining. I'm going to find it difficult. Um, so therefore I need to think about where I do it in a day, maybe doing it last thing in the day is probably not going to be the best, you know, your best do something, you're going to be tired. So actually maybe you do it when you've, when you're kind of first thing in the day, you've actually got the more mental resolve to get stuck into it and do it. You know, so it's just okay. Again, it comes back to self-awareness of how you can, how you can use your strengths. And the analogy that I sometimes use when I'm working with people is you could have your dominant and non-dominant hand. If you write with your dominant hand, your kind of your name, 
and it's really quick and easy and you can do it without kind of thinking about it. You can write your name with your non-dominant hand. It's, you can do it and you, you can do a passable job, but it takes twice as long, if not three times as long, and there are loads of cognitive effort to do it. Over time and training, you can get just as good at using your left hand almost, or your non, in my case, your non-dominant hand is your dominant hand. But my question would be, is that, is that a good use of your time? So in terms of workplaces, how often are we asking people to do tasks with their non-dominant hand when they, you know, when they could be other ways of doing it? It's like they can do it, but there's a cost in terms of doing it, in terms of energy and time and, and, and commitment. Rob, we, we need to have another chat at some point because I love that. I love that, that dominant, non-dominant hand visual. That's really helpful. Thank you. And what's actually, have you, I'm actually, you are actually helping me with this, this clarity because your energy discussion is really important for me. So I was introduced by Perry Timms to the Game Changer Index. I don't know if you've come across that. Oh, too. I haven't. No, no, no. I will, I will look into that. Have a look into that because, because, it might be a complementary thing to what, to what you're, because they measure proclivity, so all what your natural energy flows towards. Okay. And it's on two, um, two contents. You've got the x-axis, which is based on, if I remember correctly, obsession. Yeah. And then you have the y-axis based on imagination. Yeah. So, so it's nothing to do, and what I, why I like their model, and I don't know enough about the other sort of strengths-based models. Mm. But this one, all it does, all it does, it focuses on your natural energy flow and based on what you're obsessive about and what you're creative about, naturally. Okay, okay, yeah. So it actually does a deliberate thing. So I'm not a fan of the Myers-Briggs type things because I think they, they put you in a box. Yes. This sort of tool is about you not being put in a box and you just understanding where your natural energy flows to what yeah, type of role, so whether it's a strategist, a game changer, an implementer, etc. And it's really, really powerful. So now you're turning me a bit on this call because potentially because you've made me aware, now I'm more self-aware that actually strengths-based is if it is more linked to energy, as you're telling me, yes. I'm now buying into it more. Because I've, I've un, only understood, I've been unaware, personally, that that particular tool, I thought it was more of a box-ticking tool than a, than a tool that went towards energy states. That's really helpful, so I thank you for that. And I think, I think what I would caveat that with in terms of saying that different people have different perspectives in terms of strength. Strength is something I've kind of studied and looked at and worked with people to do, and that's how I, how I my reading of the, 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 the research and how I can explain it. There is, I think sometimes what the detriment of, of strength is that people will do a survey and it comes out your top five strengths and saying, this is it, just focus on these and don't, you know, ignore everything else in the way that you've said. And I think yeah. that is, is maybe just an unfortunate byproduct of people or what they heard they've taken away from those, those kind of ideas. I think it also in those perspectives, it's, it's just as useful to kind of think about what other, you know, what other things are on that list, what things are on the lower list and elsewhere. And it's just having that holistic perspective and I think energy, naturally, when people say, oh, yeah, I kind of get it, those are things that actually do light me up, they fire me up, I like doing those kind of things, and those that kind of drain me. But so that's just my kind of personal um, approach. But it is supported by my kind of reading of the, of the, of the literature. The game changer stuff sounds fascinating, and I really like that, and I'm very much around not putting people in boxes, because I think that's not really helpful. Yeah. Um, and strengths change. We all change, you know, generally yeah. don't change a lot, but they do change over time, and you can make certain things to become a strength if you, if you, work, if you work at it. Um, yeah. So, so I think that's a misconception as well in terms of this is it, in the static. Um, anything that where anyone is describing something as static, unchangeable, fixed, then I'd start getting alarm bells in terms of um, um, the, for the validity of that kind of statement. Yeah, no, fair point. No, thank you for that. I appreciate your, uh, your feedback on that. I'm really conscious we're coming up to an hour already, which is like... Oh, wow. 
<laughs> which is brilliant because it's just like such an engaging chat, Rob. Yeah. But I'm conscious maybe sort of keep it to maybe max yeah. another 10 minutes for the listeners yeah, for yeah. you. Well, yeah, let's just think about it. We'll do another, we'll do another chat. Yeah. But um, what I'd like to touch on, we, we had a sort of um, a chat in the past around buoyancy. Yeah. So do you mind just giving a little bit of a, an overview, you know, what that context was, what that background, you know, how, how did you come up with that concept around buoyancy and what does that mean and how does that show yeah. up? So I think that's really good. And it came from that discussion around self, self-awareness a little bit. So I get asked to talk around and um, think about well-being from a holistic perspective in terms of what we can do to help individuals to um, be mindful, be aware of, and maybe kind of manage their own well-being as effectively as they can do in the workplace, but beyond. And by well-being, I mean feeling good and functioning well. So there's a kind of a feeling element, but also a kind of performance element. People, people, have energy, they're, they're, they've got high levels of well-being. Generally, there's a strong association with being able to, to perform at life, as it were, spend time with the kids, be engaged, you know, speak to their partners, work well. They're, they're kind of intrinsically linked. And initially, I got asked to speak about resilience a lot. And I found that when I was talking about resilience, resilience of definition is around how things can kind of um, respond and bounce back from, from challenges, but very much in terms of how it's presented is around this kind of lighthouse model of being strong and stable with waves kind of crashing over you. And if you do certain activities and behaviours, it means you're not going to go anywhere. You can, you can stand strong in the face of adversity and challenge. And I found that didn't necessarily land particularly well and particularly useful with people. So there was that, there was that, that link of how people perceive resilience. So I started to think about what other ways I could try and explore with people to think about this concept. And so I came up with the idea of a buoyancy. So if you think about a boy, a boy kind of moves with the waves um, and so it's not static it's not staying there so if, if you're dealing with challenge, you, you will move you will be you, know, you will have to respond to that but you never go too far you don't get kind of washed away and the reason you get washed away is because tethered by an anchor and that anchor is you for me is around your your kind of your mindset your beliefs your actions your behaviors so in terms of understanding that self-awareness there's things we can all do to and increase our own kind of um, the, the strength of our, our anchor, as it were, from a buoyancy perspective, to mean that we're better able to deal with life kind of on a day-to-day basis, but also particularly when we're faced with particular circumstances we find personally challenging. Um, and so that's the kind of that's the idea around the, the, the kind of buoyancy model. And so from that, and we won't we won't talk about it now, but I talk about models of kind of. From positive psychology such as, such as PERMA so which is a kind of a, a well-known kind of work, work model of well-being around what are the activities that we know from an evidence-based perspective that are more likely to increase our own personal well-being so again strengthen that 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 um that kind of boy and also our mindsets and I'm really interested in how our beliefs about certain circumstances can actually have a physiological impact on ourselves which is which is really which is really fascinating. Oh, thanks for sharing that. I really like that image. It, 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 it's, it is, and I guess it does play to your positive psychology sort of background, Rob, is that I say rather than seeing yourself as this fixed state, you know, we're yes. going to move with the flow of the tide and actually find our way through that rather yeah. than just get battered by the stuff yeah. that comes towards us, which I, I like that. It's, just, it's a really, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Very nice. That's it. So it seems to resonate with people at the moment. I'm still exploring yeah. these people. I'm open to, to, to challenge, and I'm sure we'll find it um, as, we kind of, as we go along with groups, but... Uh, that's, that's very cool i guess just we, as, as we wrap up not spoke too much about vulnerability which is a big yeah. passion of mine personally and i think it does link a bit to what you just described about this buoyancy i guess maybe just talk a little bit about you know how you know what does vulnerability mean to you in terms of the work that you do and is do you see it as being helpful unhelpful 
Um, I know, you know some people see it as part of being self-aware. Some see it as a separate construct. What does vulnerability mean to you as, as Rob Baker? So I think for me, I, and it's not a very educated, what if I say so this fine. is my, my, gut, my gut, gut reaction, but I suppose for me, vulnerability is an expression of your self-awareness. Okay. So in terms of actually being open and aware to, to share that with other, with other, with other people for, 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 better, for, 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 for better and for worse, I suppose, in terms of that. So I think, again, if you um, come back to this lighthouse metaphor, if you speak to certain leaders, they feel that that or individuals in the work context feel they can't show any vulnerability. They've, they've got to appear strong and, and tough no matter whatever happens and it's kind of thrown at them. Whereas for me, the vulnerability is saying, actually, no, I am recognising that at times I'm, I'm going to struggle, I am going to get battered by the waves, and I need to be a, kind of aware of that. And maybe your teams need to be aware of that, but that doesn't mean to say I'm going anywhere. It just means to say that we need to be a bit more on top of, you know, our actions or mindful about how we're doing our work or you know however I don't know but it's it's not being ignoring the kind of the challenges that you're facing and being more open about them um, uh, that's that's for me the kind of issue and I think the, certainly for me anecdotally the leaders that I have the most respect for is you have an you have a, an idea they, they they open up a little bit to some of the pressures and challenges that they're facing and how but they also then saying how they're responding to those and how you can potentially help them so just a really small example would be um, someone whom um, a manager was, was, was saying, look, opened up with the team that they, um, their mother was, 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 was dying. And we knew it had been on the kind of cards for some time, but they actually said in terms of a team meeting, look, I wanted to share something with you. I don't want it to be a kind of focus of discussion at work, but to let you know this is something that's happened. It's taking up a lot of my mental energy and space. I can't help it. You know, it's, it's a sort of thing. So it means that, I've, I, it's not going to impact my day-to-day -day work so I'm still here my mother I see my mother kind of after work and other things but it means that I'm maybe not going to be as um as creative and energized as, as I would do I'm potentially going to be because um I'll do my best but it means that um I'm not going to be as um as kind of time for kind of catching up and meetings in one-to-one -one, as engaged as I'd, as, I'd, as I'd like to be and just wanted to make you aware of that and I'm going to do my best to kind of not make it impact my work but just to make you aware of it and the team just kind of rallied around that person it actually made them step up a little bit they actually think oh, what can we do to kind of take something off that person's plate not hide things from them but just be a kind of aware and sensitive and human to it and I think that's just something that and I admire that person so much for having shared that rather than necessarily hide it as well um, so that's just a really kind of small um, anecdote that I've kind of heard about the power of vulnerability how I've seen it and impacted on me that, that, that's really uh, isn't it funny though to some extent the length you know you sort of mentioned the small example it's a pretty major example so for someone yeah. to be able to do that in a senior leadership capacity and I, I yeah. thank you for sharing the story I think that's massive yeah, you know, yeah. as you know I'm going from my own sort of journey I've the people yeah yeah absolutely. It's, 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 it's a massive thing so no it's interesting sort of reason I asked the question that Rob is that I've had a few chats of course now as we had more and more of these podcasts and there seems to be a theme around vulnerability being part, people perceive vulnerability to be part of being more self-aware. So you've mentioned that yourself, other people have mentioned that. And that's really helpful for me because mm. I can be a little bit of a vulnerability sort of bandwagon. It's like, come on, everyone needs to be more vulnerable. Let's like get everything out in the open. But like naturally there's the time and a place for certain parts of that, of course. But I do yeah. just think as a, as a society, you know, as machines do do more of the work, you know, the, the sort of day-to-day -day transaction stuff, for us to evolve and to do to for your job crafting to become the norm, I genuinely believe we need to be more vulnerable, more accountable, more open 
to you know what a different future looks like because it is going to be back to your point so you know it is going to keep changing isn't it with with the advancements yeah, that we see so that's a really interesting point i suppose vulnerabilities maybe not the language i'd use but maybe i'll start thinking about it a bit more gary so thanks for the, ch the challenge is around being open to not know what the consequences are going to be of your actions as well so in terms of in terms of vulnerable you're saying for better again for the idea of for better or for worse i'm this is why i am this is what i'm going to do and I need to kind of deal with the consequences of that yeah. a little bit, be open to that. And yeah, very much that's the front of, of job crafting. But then I suppose for me, when I come back to the idea of the five minutes, when I said to you about this five minutes, it's around what can you do to kind of maybe protect that vulnerability a little bit. So you're not necessarily exposing yourself totally to the yeah. kind of the negative impact is what can you do that in a in taking baby steps mm -hmm. to do that. Um, to, to, to that. No, it's really interesting. I hadn't thought about, about, about it quite in a way that you'll certainly give me food for thought there i guess it's just a language thing because for me personally i i'm i guess my positive mindset like 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 you is just around vulnerability of course you look at the textbook english oxford english definition is around you know it's a it is a weakness it is a strain on mm. something on a system on a server whatever yeah and from a sort of a rigid sort of straight back to your lighthouse metaphor absolutely you know that that lighthouse is vulnerable to being struck by lightning yeah, that, yeah. Is what, that would be that terminal. Whereas I guess I'm looking more for an emotional vulnerability. I don't see emotional vulnerability in any way being a negative, personally, as Gary Turner. I just, think, mm. I just don't see it at all. You know, I just can't see how it can ever be a negative to be yourself, to bring your whole self, to be you and just live your, your personal purpose and values. Okay, in the wrong organisation, maybe. It could be perceived as a weakness. Mm. I think from a human being able to be who you truly are, I don't see emotional vulnerability ever being a weakness. And I don't know. I'm looking, for, you know. I'm looking forward to being challenged on that. Maybe people mm. give me different views on that. But yeah, so I'm still finding my own way on this sort of vulnerability term because it, it's very clear. You know, you've got non-emotional vulnerability is a weakness, whereas I guess yeah. I'm coming from it more of a how can we use that sense of self and that better understanding and that, those stories as a way to better connect to each other by being vulnerable emotionally so yeah i don't, I don't know no it's really and I, I jumped immediately to emotional vulnerability when you talk about as a as a and a positive my positive experiences of it but i again you're right if we think about a vulnerability from a from a state or an object point of view you that is generally seen to describe its its kind of its its weaknesses isn't it? so i hadn't I, that's really fascinating again in terms of the use of the language again i hadn't really given that much much thought and um, i i tend to find I suppose again, in terms of the kind of vulner vulnerability aspect of it, from my and I, I hadn't thought about this too much. I'll give some further thinking about it. That where I've seen the negatives to it, as it were, is the the kind of repercussions of it. In terms of if you're open to it, it means that people will respond to that in different ways, and you can't always predict how people will respond to it. Mm, good so, and so, for example, if you think of not only workplace, but say social media, the trolls or other aspects in terms of the aspects in terms of the people who will maybe prey on on certain certain individuals for whatever reason. And I, I I'm and the idea of bullying and others that you could have seen is that I don't know whether people who are more vulnerable are, or express vulnerable emotional vulnerability, express their true selves are better or or worse able or the same to kind of deal with negative input from others mm. be that kind of brilliant I, I don't know the answer to that it'd be quite interesting to kind of actually do some 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 digging and i might you might prompt me to do some digging around on that on that as an idea um so 
Thank you for that. It got me thinking. I've got so we have to finish this podcast. We're both be doing research projects and PhDs by the end of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, honestly though, Rob, it's it's been a joy, absolute joy to talk to you. So thank you so much for uh, sparing just over an hour, believe it or not. Let's let's do it again at some point. But let's make sure people can reach out, find where to get you, whether it's social media, you know your website. So do you just want to wrap up by letting listeners know how to reach you, Rob? I think I'm very interested to kind of explore any of the ideas and be and be challenged on, on anything we've talked about today. But also, if people want to kind of um, kind of pick my brains or, or ask for further material about it, they can get in touch. So I'm Baker RJM on Twitter. So at Baker RJM on Twitter, I'm I'm, I'm increasingly kind of um, accessible. And my website is tailoredthinking.co.uk, and the my email is Robert tailorthinking.co.uk so happy for people just to just to get in to get in touch um, and and uh, yeah fantastic rob well look thank you very much again for your time let's keep in touch and good luck with your presentation hungry that sounds really well, look, exciting thank you. Thank you. That sounds really, really exciting. thanks so much gary for everything you're doing as well and to the shifting the lead a little bit on these kind of discussions which is what we we need so i'm really taking inspiration from people like yourself and doing 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 and um, being curious and being curious of other people so thanks ever so much no thanks a lot rob all the very best for now take yeah, care bye-bye. hi there just gary turner wrapping up my excellent chat with rob baker from tailored thinking I really respect and enjoyed learning from Rob that one of his big drivers for actually setting up on his own was um, to to be able to tell his son Finn when he gets older that it's okay to follow your dreams, to follow your passions in your life. Um, he didn't want not to role model that um, action and behaviour um, for his son and I've got so much respect and admiration for Rob um, in that approach. In terms of how his business came about, the tailored thinking name, Um, It's really helpful for him to explain his approach to one of his big focus areas, which is job crafting. So for Rob, he spoke about this oversized jacket, how so many of us go into the world of work, you know, into somebody else's oversized coat, basically, or the organisational job description, job description of which I find very frustrating, personally, um, is around, you know, how do you fit or shoehorn somebody in to do the job that somebody else did previously when they've got their own views, their own value system, their own beliefs. And I really love this idea of this oversized coat um, that job crafting allows one that comes into a particular organisational system to be able to tailor that particular role to their own personality, to their own belief system, to their own strengths. So I'm a big believer actually in this job crafting movement and it's something I want to learn more from Rob about as we move forward. We also touched on um, strengths-based leadership. Something that I've had a little bit of a bee in my bonnet about around the you know sort of devoid focus on um, weaknesses you know for me I believe to be a whole person to bring that whole self to work we really do need to understand intimately what those weaknesses are and you know how we choose to deal with them or otherwise or get support with them I think is important but what Rob did help me understand is that to his interpretation at least is that strengths-based leadership or the strengths-based movement is very much around energy so where is your natural energy state you know it's far easier for example, as you use the the example of your dominant and non-dominant hand, so it's far easier to write with your dominant hand and far harder to write with your non-dominant hand. And he likens the strengths-based movement in his interpretation to a similar thing. And from that basis, I can totally understand. And I do buy into his interpretation of strengths-based, and I do like that. But I would still commend and uh, 
a test that we still need to be keeping an eye on those those areas of our backhands, as Nepkjump would talk about, that need focus on on improvement, or at least how do they impact other people, and that then links into self awareness, of course. And we had quite quite a diverse conversation around self awareness, what that looks like, and Rob gave me his view that vulnerability for him is indeed part of self awareness um, for him personally. And some other key takeaways for me were around e- evidence versus evolutionary practice. Um, I'm a big believer, maybe it's my sales and marketing background, but I'm a big believer in experimental learning, in in the moment learning, in actually doing the best with what you have. Um, I do fear that too much evidence based in far more humanistic um, arenas could dampen down and indeed continue to dehumanise the world of work. So there needs to be a balance between evidence and evolutionary but I thought it was a good discussion that we had. I think it was a balanced discussion. And it very much linked then, of course, into inclusion. And I think, you know, if we put all of what we just I just described together, you know, unless we've got a fundamental inclusive work system that we're operating within, then it's going to be very difficult for people to be vulnerable. It's going to be very difficult for people to be able to craft their jobs. It's going to be very difficult for people to have the confidence to be self-aware. Um, so, yeah, I think the future of work for me is distinctly human. A lot of people are talking about this, but for me personally, it totally is. You know, the augmentation of machines and humans, we've got the biggest opportunity in, you know, over 100 years now to truly work alongside the increase in technology and actually have the most meaningful and purposeful work that we've probably had in a, in a very long time. So I hope you find this interesting. Please do give feedback to Rob and I, and uh, I wish you all a great day. Bye. Thank you.